Well, good morning and welcome to Fellowship, especially if you are a guest here, newer to our church. Just want you to know how glad we are that you're here and pray that you have already been blessed and encouraged by being a part of our service. We are now moving into the time of, of our worship service where we take time to, to preach and to teach the Word of God because we believe this is uh, the uh, revelation of God to humanity. And uh, we submit to it in all things and desire to hear from God. We believe God speaks to us through his word. And so I hope and pray that you have that anticipation for you, even as we now look at this incredible story here in, um, in the Old Testament. We're, we're in a series in the book of Joshua. We're working our way through this. And uh, we're, we're, in, uh, we're, we're entering into uh, chapter two, and as you just heard read, or at least part of it read, and Today, we're really going to look at one of the most interesting people, in my opinion, in the entire Old Testament. This really is an amazing story. It's an amazing story of, of the perceived irredeemable being redeemed. And I wanted to just start by just asking you a question to think about. Do you know of someone that you might consider to be irredeemable? For whatever reason, past situations, things they've done to you, maybe things you've heard about what they do. And then think about why you consider them to be irredeemable. And then maybe as, as I'm mentioning that, you might be thinking not of other people, but you might be thinking of yourself. You, maybe, you have possibly asked yourself the question, if you are worth redeeming. Maybe that's because of your past. Maybe there's wicked things that you've done that you know that, that you've done and, and, and you think about that and you just can't imagine God wasting his time on you. Do you is, it's possible that you might even consider yourself to be irredeemable. And I think if you even remotely think that way, you're gonna love this story today. Rahab is perhaps one of the most misunderstood, maybe mischaracterized or just overlooked women in the Bible. Today, we're going to seek to understand her as, as best we can by the leading of the Holy Spirit as she has been portrayed in the scriptures. So no masks, no Photoshop, just the real thing the real thing. You're going to see a woman who was considered to be society's worst pursued and redeemed by the one true God of the universe. And you're going to see, as we look at this, that this God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people willing to be redeemed by him because he's a redeeming God. And so let's just pray together and ask God to lead us. And would you pray and just ask God to speak to you? Would you just pray that prayer in your own heart? God, speak to me today through your word. Lord God, we thank you for your truth, your word. Thank you for the wonderful things we already took time to sing about, to reflect on that you're doing in our church where you are demonstrating, not just in your word, but you're demonstrating to us in reality right here in Dallas, Pennsylvania, that you are at work. And we thank you for that. 
Lord, help us to see today through the truth of your word, the redeeming nature of our God, the mercy and grace, the power. Help us, Lord, uh, to recognize that we have a God who cares about us, but a God who, who also puts before us the opportunity for us to respond to him by believing in him, loving him, living in worship to him. So lead and guide us now, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. So obviously big, kind of a long chapter, lots to cover here. Uh, The people are about to cross uh, the Jordan River. They're about to go into the land. (laughs) It seems like we've been talking about this. They're about to go, right? They're about to go. They're about to go uh, to, to possess the land. And Joshua, this military leader, he wants some intel. He wants some military intel before he goes in. And so he sends two men really on a recon mission. It's a mission of reconnaissance. They, they, he wants to gain some understanding. You see that there in verse 1. Go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, there's no evidence from the text as we step back that this was commanded Uh, or directed by God. We don't know that God said, at least we don't have the textual evidence that tells us God told Joshua to send men to spy. We don't know that. We don't know that it was of God. We don't know that it wasn't. We just know that he's doing it, and we know that God has called him to be the leader, right? He's the leader, so we're trusting that he is being led by God. Joshua is the military leader as well, so he's really doing his job. He wants the people to go into the land And he wants to send these spies and he wants to know what to expect when they get in there. It's not that he's thinking about changing his mind. He's not thinking about that. He's just gaining some intelligence because they are going in. He's taking them in. And it's interesting when you just stop right here in verse 1. Because Joshua himself was a spy about 40 years prior. 40 years or so prior, he was one of the 12 spies. And it's also interesting, he doesn't send 12, he sends two. And that's interesting because it was only two that went last time that had a good report. Joshua, I'm not sending 12, I'm sending two good ones. I remember what that was like. And they go in. So the two men stayed in the house of Rahab. We see that in the text, a Canaanite prostitute. They went, in, they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So, again, the text doesn't tell us why specifically they went to Rahab's house. Most likely because it was a place that people would come and go in obscurity. So it was a place where these spies could blend in. And it was probably not too far from the gate. One thing is for certain, the Lord had plans for them there. That is evident as the story progresses. We see that. It's also very, very clear that Rahab is a harlot, a prostitute. The word in Hebrew, zana, there's no question. We're not, that's not one of those where we're like, I really wonder what he meant. We know what it means and what it refers to. And, and I want to point out that this is what the Bible does. And it does this all the time. It doesn't run from the truth of our situations. It doesn't try to hide things. It just says, this is what it is. 
Now, there's also no indication whatsoever in the text that these men, that they, that they went there to engage in sexual immorality with the prostitute. And any interpretation in that direction is really just adding to the text or reading into the text what they want to and then taking away actually from its intended meaning and purpose. And this is the kind of thing happening a lot today with modern scholarship. Just reading in a lot of the cultural things happening and then putting it back into the text. But there's, no, there's no indication whatsoever of that. And, and I would say it doesn't exist at all in this story. The rest of this story is really about Rahab, the prostitute. It's not a story about the spies. We don't even know their names. I mean, they're, they're the ones from Israel. And we don't even know who they are. She is the main human character of this account. I say human because God is always the main character of his book. So what did Rahab provide for the spies here? Well, one thing, she provided shelter. She provided a place to sleep and rest, hiding, protection. She also provided the recon report, the reconnaissance report. And what was that report? Basically, it was a report of fear. It was Rahab that provided the information that these spies were looking for. And what that information was, was the people of Canaan fear the people of Israel and fear their God. That's the report. And so as the story goes on, we see that the king of Jericho searches for the spies. You see that in verses 2, basically through 7, which again we had read for us. And this is a really interesting part of the story because it seems, as you, as you take, uh, you know, you step back from it, it seems that Jericho had some good intel themselves because the king knows a lot of stuff. He knows there are spies in Jericho, which kind of defeats the purpose of spies, right? I'm going in as a spy. What do we find out? The king knows there's spies. Not only does he know that, he knows there's more than one. He knows they're Israelites. He knows their mission to search out the land. That's literally what Joshua said. So these spies weren't exactly stealthy, I guess. The king knows everything. He even knows that they are at Rahab's house. So... Not exactly Ethan Hunt here, right? That's for sure. Mission Impossible reference. So Rahab admits that the men were there to the king's men, but says that they left. And she doesn't know where, she says. But she tells the king's men to hurry up, and if they hurry, they'll catch them. The narrative then tells us that she hid them on the roof with the stalks of flax that she was probably using the roof. They would use the roof for drying the grains. And she hid the spies there with the flax until the king's men left and then would send them on their way. And so the, the guards of, of the king then pursue the men to the Jordan River. Now remember, the men aren't going there. They're pursuing nothing, but they're going because that's what Rahab said. And that's the irony of this situation. I want you to notice the irony of this because Rahab is 
is blatantly deceiving the king's men and they believe every word she says. This isn't one of those, you know, uh, we, we know what's really going on here. She's, she's, she's lying. She's not telling us the truth. For some reason, the king's men trusted what Rahab the prostitute said. And what you're going to see in this text as we go through this, this kind of trust in Rahab, it continues in the narrative. She seems to be a trustworthy person. So let's, let's now address the, the, the deception of, of Rahab, Rahab's deception. This has re- received a lot of attention uh, and, and a lot of, this is the kind of thing people like to talk about in a Bible study. Um, and, and so a lot of the reading I did on this said, first off, we're spending way too much time and argument talking about this. And I agree, uh, we do. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Let me just speak to it very quickly though. And then we're going to be done with it and we're going to move on to what this text is actually all about. So even in your community groups, as much as you're tempted, you know, to dig all into this uh, deception, don't do that and miss the point of the entire chapter. So let me just say this, lying and deception is wrong. That's clear in the scriptures, right? Yes, it's wrong. And this text is not justifying your lying and deception. So just take that in because we don't usually bring this up to justify what she's doing. We bring it up to justify what we're doing. It's not doing that. So don't think that. Her motive was to protect the men of Israel. That was good. She deceived to do it. And the Bible as a whole, we're going to see this in a little bit, does not address her specific deception from a negative perspective in any way. And the reason is because this story is a story about her faith in God. And the God that would redeem her. So that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. So let's look at the faith of Rahab. That's the central point and idea. Even from a literary standpoint, if you look at the way that this is put together from just a literary uh, standpoint, you can see that it's the central point and idea from where it is. It's kind of central to the text, the main point, the meat of the narrative. So first thing I want to do is just give you some characteristics of the confession of Rahab, because that's really what she gives. It's a confession. First, I want you to just take note of this. It is probably the single greatest confession of faith in God in the entire book of Joshua. Just think about that. The single greatest confession of faith in God in the entire book of Joshua belongs to Rahab. Second, this confession demonstrates a remarkable grasp of who the God of Israel is. Her her understanding of who the God of Israel is, is amazing. It's incredible. It's remarkable. This confession demonstrates knowledge and understanding of God beyond that of a pagan prostitute. How in the world did she know these things? So just, just as a setup before we go further in. I want to break down more of what she said. And remember, remember the context. The context is that uh, she said this to the men before they were laying down for the night, which they were uh, on, on the roof is where, is where it, it seems like she's speaking to them. 
and I want you to notice how many times she says the name of God. If you're looking in your Bible and you see Lord there and the Lord's all in caps, that's telling you they're using the name of God, the Yahweh, his name. And this is who she is continuing to refer to, the name of the God of Israel, Yahweh. So let's see what the confession of Rahab revealed about Yahweh. First, it revealed the promise of Yahweh in verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Just think about what she's saying. She knows, she knows that Yahweh has given the people of Israel the land. What, what land? The very land she is living in. That's what she's saying. The land that I live in belongs to Yahweh. And Yahweh has given it to you. His people, Israel. Rahab is demonstrating she gets the promise. Some of the Israelites don't get this yet. She gets it. How does she know it? Who told her? The text doesn't really tell us that. Doesn't, doesn't give us a, you know, the backstory to how Rahab got all this, but we know that she knows it and we would attribute it to the work of God. I also found it so interesting to think, that here we are, here we are looking at this text. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And look what's going on in the world today about the land of Israel. It's just amazing that here we are reading and studying about this land that God had promised to his people. And we're living in a day and time where that land is continuing to be fought over. It brings reality and truth to what we're reading here. The promise of Yahweh, though. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Second, the fear of Yahweh, verse 9. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. This is what Rahab says. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And, And then verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. No spirit means there's no... There was no, will, there was no will to live and go on after we heard about your God and your people. That's what's going on here in Canaan, in Jericho, and even in the other parts of the land. Rahab fears the God of Israel. But think about it. She's a pagan in a land worshiping other gods. But she fears the God of Israel. And she's speaking here for the rest of the city. But here's the thing. They don't believe as she does. They may fear death. They may fear this God and fear the people of Israel because they've heard of what they've done. They're not believing in Yahweh as she is. Then we see the power of Yahweh, verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. She knows about Egypt and the Red Sea. She knows what happened to the Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan. She heard about that. That news came across the Jordan to Jericho and other inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And she's acknowledging The Lord God's might and power. And even the language that she uses, the Lord dried up. 
is very specific language, and it's only used twice in the Hebrew Bible. And, it, and it's interesting that she would use this kind of very specific language to describe the power of God, of the God of Israel. And then we see the majesty of Yahweh. This is the most remarkable thing she said. Don't miss it. Verse 11, for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This precise language about God, the way that she said this is found only two other times in the New Testament, once by Moses in Deuteronomy chapters one through three, where he's preaching a sermon to the, to the people. The other time it's mentioned is when Solomon, the king, is praying a prayer of dedication over the temple of God. And here is the prostitute, pagan, Rahab, in a pagan city, surrounded by Canaanite and Amorite false gods. And she says, Yahweh is God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She could lose her life for that kind of language. She says it anyway. And she refers to him as your God here. Notice that? Your God. And I think the reason for that, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm speculating on this, but I think the text will, will bear this out. But I think it's your God here because she's saying to these spies, it's, you know, he's the God of Israel. I'm not your people. But if this God will have her, he would be her God as well. If he will have this irredeemable person, potentially, she will worship him as her God. And then we see the mercy of Yahweh. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, she says, you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. Give me, give me something I can hold on to that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She's acknowledging death is coming. <laughs> it, for her, it's, it, it might as well already be at the doorstep. It is coming. And she uses the term here, has said. You probably see that term or remember that term from the book of Ruth, which we studied several years back. The loving kindness of God. So here's Rahab, not only aware of God's power, of God's promise, of God's majesty, but now she is seeking his mercy. To Rahab, these spies represent all the people of God. And in being kind to them, in demonstrating has said, she is seeking the kindness and mercy of their God on her. And she knows, remember, she already knows that this God is to be feared above all the other gods. All the Canaanite gods, all the Amorite gods, this God is to be feared. But even as she knows to fear God, don't miss this. She senses there is mercy in this fearful God. There is mercy with this God. 
Incredible. Now let's look at this scarlet cord that was mentioned in verses 15 through 21. Rahab helps the spies to leave her house by going out the window, being lowered by a rope. Her house was built into the wall. Now, of course, this is not a picture of her house. You know that. But it gives you an idea of what it looked like because you could see that there's houses in between uh, the, the outer wall and the inner wall, and it would be built in. Yeah, you see a picture there, the outer wall and the inner wall, and hers would have been built with the window on the outer wall. And, and so that's where she would have let them out. And in order for Rahab to be safe, she had to tie the scarlet cord in the window. So the same rope that she used to lower the spies out the window, she's now going to use to tie to the window. And then notice the direction that she's given. Just see the sovereignty and the providence of your God in all of this. She had to gather her family into her house in order for them to be safe. That's what she was told. The spies left, and it seems that she grabbed that rope and she tied it to the window right after they left. The way it's written, it seems like she didn't wait. <laughs> I don't know how long their battle's going to take, but I'm getting that thing on the window now. No waiting. What does this remind you of? When you read this, do you think of, wait a minute, there's, this is similar to something else I've read in the, in the Old Testament. Yes, the Passover lamb of the Exodus, the people of Israel were to kill the lamb, right? And put the blood on the doorposts of their homes. And those in the home only, right? They had to be in the home, covered by the blood of the doorpost. They would be safe. They would be covered by the blood and saved from the judgment of God. What was coming was the judgment of God on Egypt. In the same way, Rahab and her family would be safe in her home if it was marked by the scarlet cord. She probably hurried her family into the house. She probably said, you know, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, it says also, and all that were with them. So it was extended family. She's telling all, now remember, these are all idol worshipers. These are pagan people. And she's saying, come into the house and be saved from the God of Israel. They could have easily laughed her off. You're crazy. They could have actually brought her to the king. She would have been tortured, executed, killed, whatever they would have wanted to do to her. But she went to save her family. Reminds me of the story of Lot. He tried to save his family in Sodom. He knew judgment was coming. Again, judgment was coming. And he went and he talked to his family and they laughed at him. And they were judged by God. Same with Noah. Very similar situation, right? Noah's building an ark. For what purpose? Get in the ark to be saved. From what? The judgment of God. If you're outside the ark, you're going to have judgment. If you're in the ark, you'll be saved. What happened? They laughed. They scorned him. They ridiculed him. They were judged by God. Now Rahab is seeking to save her family. How? Being in the house marked with the scarlet cord. Who would be judged? The rest of the people. Her, her family would be safe because of faith and belief in God. So when Israel left Egypt, 
They did so through the blood of the Passover lamb. And when Israel entered Jericho, only those in the home marked with the scarlet cord were saved and the rest were judged. Rahab was spared because she believed in the one true God. Canaan and Jericho were destroyed because they rejected and opposed the Lord God. That kind, what we're talking about there, we today still need to believe that this God saves, but he also judges. There are consequences for rejecting to live in worship of your creator God and to recognize his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the savior of the world and the king of all kings. This text reminds us of that. There are consequences for not for denying that, for not believing that, for just discarding that, for throwing that aside. There are consequences for that. And we see that in this text, the judgment of a holy, righteous God. Going back to the narrative, from a military perspective, what was accomplished by the spies? You know, so if you're like more of a you know, military thinking guy, strategic guy, you're thinking, okay, what did they actually accomplish? Reality is not much, if anything at all. Look what they said in Joshua uh, uh, 2, verse 24. This is when they come back to Joshua, okay? So now the spies are back with, the, with all the reconnaissance, right? Here's what they said. Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So what they tell Joshua is what, jo- was, is what God has been telling Israel forever, right? That's their reconnaissance. The Lord has given us the land, that's what we've been reading in the whole, for 40 years. Like, this is, he's been telling you that. He gave you the land. And these spies, they didn't bring in a Trojan horse and leave it in Jericho. You know, they didn't, there was no inside job. There was no conspiracy. It was, their intel was the report of a pagan Canaanite prostitute. And they take her intel, bring it to Joshua, who is the, the general of them all. And her word is like gold to them. They're essentially reporting the word of Rahab to Joshua, and that's the intel. And again, we're seeing the point of this passage. The king's men believe what she says. The spies believe what she says. Joshua believes what she says. Something about this woman. So this is not about military espionage. You're not reading this chapter and gaining all this military insight. It's about the faith of a pagan in the one true God of Israel. Faith that saves her and her family from judgment. Now, we need to also transition here a little bit because I want you to see Rahab in the New Testament. Did you know that Rahab gets serious mention in the New Testament. She's mentioned in the great faith chapter of Hebrews 11. Not many get mentioned in that chapter. Hebrews 11, verse 31, it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, notice how she's referred to in the New Testament. This is the new covenant now, referring to her as the prostitute, 
did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So notice how the book of Hebrews refers to Rahab, faithful. How how does the writer of Hebrews refer to the people of Jericho? Disobedient. How were they disobedient? They did not believe in Jehovah God as Rahab did. Rahab believed and acted on that belief. They did not. They were wicked. But wait a minute, Rahab was wicked too. It wasn't the wickedness that, 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 that separated them. It wasn't the wickedness of the other Canaanites were more wicked than Rahab. That wasn't it. They were both together just as wicked. She believed in faith. She found hope in this fearful God and they found judgment. She's also mentioned in James chapter two. James, which is written by the half-brother of the Lord Jesus himself, writes about Rahab. James 2.25, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Again, referred to as the prostitute. And what James is doing here, because you don't have the whole context, but if you read the context of James 2, she is paralleling the faith of Rahab with the faith of Abraham. Now, you don't just mess around with the faith of Abraham, right? I mean, Abraham, Moses, right? There's some Rahab. Who is this woman? It's incredible when you see and understand what God has done here. The scripture understands everything she did from the perspective of faith in God. She believed in the one true God and she was blessed as a result. Then she's mentioned in Matthew 1 in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. What is going on here? Matthew makes special mention of her. We talked about this on a, during an Advent series a few years back. Matthew makes special mention of Rahab. And he also makes special mention of Ruth. What's so interesting about both of them is they're both pagans. Like uh, Ruth is, is, uh, is a Moabite and, 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 and you have Rahab who is a, a Canaanite. Why didn't they mention David's mother? Where's Jesse's mother? Why Boaz's mother? Why Rahab? Why is she listed here? Rahab was the great-grandmother to David's father, Jesse, and the great-great-grandmother to David. How in the world could this happen? What is God doing? How could this woman be used in such a powerful way? She is in the lineage of the Christ, the Son of God, redeemed. She has been redeemed. 
So after Jericho was destroyed, this is what we read about Rahab in Joshua 6, 25. We're going to get there, but it's okay if we look ahead, right? Uh, Rahab, but Rahab the prostitute, verse 25, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. She was saved, her family too. And here's what the, the narrative tells us. She has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And James, because we learned what James said, right, in James 2, he told us that act was a good work. Because the point that James is making is that their good works and faith go together. And, and he's saying, but it was an act, a good work, but it was done in faith. And it was counted to her as righteousness. Rahab married this man, Salmon. And she became an Israelite. She was a woman who feared God. One of the questions that people ask is, could it be that Salmon was one of the spies? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. It's possible. What we do know about Salmon is that he was the son of Nashon, and Nashon was the son of a prince of Judah. So Rahab married a man who was the son of a prince of the tribe of Judah. Yet this prince seems to only be mentioned because he married a Canaanite prostitute that had been redeemed by the one true God. So whoever it was that that married Rahab married a redeemed prostitute and from her lineage, God chose to bring the son of God, Jesus himself. Why? To show that Jesus has come to redeem. People who need redeeming. The irredeemable. Those who think God doesn't want any part of them. Those who think they're past or whoever they are, God couldn't, God, God wouldn't want them. Yes, He does. So who is irredeemable? Going back to that question, no one. Not if they're willing to believe. Not if they're willing to trust in the one true God. And let God do work and change them. Don't give up on people. Don't write people off. Because we have a redeeming God. And it doesn't matter what you've done. If it's you, if you're wondering about yourself, it doesn't matter what you've done and it doesn't matter who you've been. Because God wants to make you someone else. One of his children. What matters is who do you trust? Who do you put your trust in? Who do you put your faith in? That's, that's what Rahab did. For Rahab, it was the God of Israel. She risked her very life in trusting in this God. Do we trust God in that way? Do you trust God enough to put your life in his hands and to say whatever you want, whatever you ask, I'll do. I'm yours. Think about this. Think about what's going on here. And think about this. Uh, I'll put this up on the wall for you to see on the, on the screen. If it is not fitting for Rahab to be in the lineage of Christ, then is it fitting that we, all of us, should be the bride of Christ? Are we 
all of us so much better than her? Do we deserve so much more? Do you look at your life and say, yeah, look at, look at, look at all the righteous things that I've done. Let me just warn you. That is the wrong train of thought. The right train of thought is thank you, God, for your mercy on me. Thank you for the fact that you have washed me, you have cleansed me, and apart from you, God, apart from what Christ has done, I am totally and completely unrighteous. Completely. It's not a righteous thing I've done. But because of Christ, I'm considered righteous. So Rahab belonged in the lineage of Christ because she had been redeemed by the one true merciful God. And we are the bride of Christ for the same reason. The church, the Lord's church. Why? Because he has purchased us with his own blood. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So if you've never trusted in this God, because you believe your past is just too wicked, too unforgivable, who you've been, I just want to assure you it is not this God of, that we're talking to you about is a redeeming God. He is a God that is full of mercy. Yes, he is to be feared. But he welcomes you in to be covered under the blood. But we must also remember that to be outside of that is to expose ourselves to his judgment. That's evident in all that we've read and seen. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you, give your life to him today. Trust him. Just say, God, I I have come here with a lot of baggage, a lot of stuff. I just need to give my life to you and trust you to be my redeemer. Let's pray together. Would you just pray with me? Lord God, thank you for the incredible truth of your word. Thank you for your redeeming nature. And Lord, I pray for people right now who are out there just maybe thinking about things that they've done, said, maybe who they've been, and they need to be redeemed by you. They need to be reconciled to God. Lord, I pray that you would, they would turn to you. They would recognize you as the one true God. They would see you as as their hope, And even though you are a God to be feared, they would run to your mercy and find you to be a merciful, loving God. Thank you, Lord, for for giving us in your word evidence of, of people, real people like this, like Rahab, who demonstrates what it means to be someone before and to be completely changed and made new again. We thank you that that's what your truth does and and that's what your gospel does. So Lord God, we give you tremendous praise. We give you all the glory and we here today recognize you 
in the words that, that Rahab used, we say the same. You are God. And you are the God of the heavens above and on the earth below. And you are worthy of all of our praise. We thank you for who you are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.